0: Who here remembers R.J. Barrett's suit that he wore at the draft, that pink number that he was wearing? Or even the formal wear he's been wearing for his of walks and other events? Did you happen to know that all of those were provided to him by Indochino? If not, let me tell you about them. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and designed your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase for $399 or more. That's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. This podcast is brought to you today by Indochino, Harry's, and Roman. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and thank you to all of you listening and joining me on this episode. Apologies that it couldn't be on better news, I suppose. We're recording this one straight after the Bulls dropped another game to the Houston Rockets. And here to join me in my misery is Kevin Ferrigan. Kevin, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, mate.
1: Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, like you said, I uh, wish that the result was different, but um, who knows? Maybe all these embarrassingly bad losses will get Boylan to be uh, fired uh, sooner rather than later. Um, I don't know that that's going to actually happen because the Bulls like to drag their feet on these things. Um, except for when it came to Fred Hoiberg for some reason. Uh, but yeah. that's a, a separate conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's it seems like for once in it feels like forever since Bulls fans have been united on one topic or one issue and that being how shit Jim Boylan is as a coach I mean I wish we could start this podcast on a more positive note but there really aren't a lot of positives right now I just mentioned that the Bulls dropped another game that being to the Houston Rockets They were never really in that game after the first half it pretty much ended during that third quarter run that James Harden and the Rockets put on The Bulls are now three and seven after 10 games. No one expected us to be here at this point based on the expectations we all collectively had as a fan base about this season or this upcoming season. But here we are talking about the Bulls after the first few weeks of the season being three and seven, despite having an easy schedule relative to most of the league. And yeah, it's just, it's just disappointing. We're all angry and I think it's all justified. And, And yeah, like I said, it's been. I can't remember the last time, Kevin, that we were all united on one thing, and that being that Jim Boylan sucks ass.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's really, really terrible. Um, and, you know, I've got a lot of frustration with various players on the team, but it's, it's really hard for me to know how much of it is they're just not good enough and how much of it is they're just not being put into very good situations to succeed. Um, I think there's probably some of both, but, like, the amounts and how much better they might look. Um, you know, had the Bulls hired a legitimate coach this summer, and you know, not extended Boylan and uh, essentially let him move on after um, after last year's disaster closing closing out the season. Uh, it's really hard to know, but it's I don't know. It's it's so frustrating. There was nothing that he did last season that gave you any indication that this was going to be uh, better this year. And the fact that they extended him and gave him more money, it's not my money. I don't care that they're paying him, but like the fact that it makes them drag their feet on shit canning him when he needs to be out as soon as possible. I And like, the thing is too, is that like, even beyond that, that's frustrating. Is that like, now, what, they got to fire him mid-season again, pro- uh, like fire another coach mid-season, and then they're in the same situation where... They have to have an interim coach, and they'll probably be tempted to do the same dumb thing and not do a real legitimate coaching search. It's, it's just like they had a perfect opportunity to say, "Thanks for you know uh, your time as the head coach. We're going to do a legitimate coaching search now, now that we have the whole off season, and uh, let's get somebody in here that actually knows what they're doing." But they didn't do that, and now. It's, it's, it sucks because we, I think everybody was optimistic after this off season. I think everybody felt pretty good about the players that they signed and it felt like they had done, you know, a lot of things right, uh, starting with the auto Porter trade and that one sort of mistake of keeping Boylan on is undermining all of that. And, uh, it's, it really sucks.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the first point that you made was a salient one in the sense that it really is still hard to judge these players because they're not, or at least we're questioning whether this is a coaching issue, whether it's a playing issue, all that sort of stuff. But I think we all forget, despite expectations, that this was meant to still be a, a rebuilding season to an extent. I mean, the team wasn't just going to jump from 22 wins to 40-odd wins and everything be right. There was still going to be development developmental moments throughout this season, but we forget that to a degree because our expectations are a little bit higher but we're, we're still finding it even now we're in year three of the rebuild as to we, we, it's still hard to judge you know how good these players truly are and I, I know Larry Markman has been bad and I definitely want to talk about that because that continued in this Houston Rockets game. He had that one nice game against the Hawks in the previous game but Again, Lowry was back to his inconsistent bad self, as we've routinely seen this season. Zach Levine was also bad against the Houston Rockets tonight as well. But I guess with those two players in particular, we've seen them be so much better than what they've shown through the opening ten games of this season that I, I can't almost just throw it on to the players themselves. I, I do wonder how much of this is on the system, how much of this is on the coaching. And and for players like Lowry and Zach as well, they're not they're not the types that are necessarily just gonna fight through it and, and play their own game despite all the bad that's going around them. I mean, the only one that's really doing that is Wendell Carter. He's the only one that's consistently showing up. But I feel like guys with Lowry or or Zach and these these sorts of players, they're the ones that you really need to pull out and and to and to really raise their game type thing through coaching. But obviously that isn't happening right now.
1: It's really it, it, and it, the thing that's really frustrating about it is like I'm just kind of looking at Lowry's box scores um, on Basketball Reference, not including uh, tonight's game, obviously. But he's had three games basically this season. Where he his plus minus has been positive, and granted plus minus is impacted by the fact that like you know it's single game plus minus is very noisy and also like it's hard to have a, a positive plus minus in a game that you lose or it's harder I should say. But his the three games that he's had a positive plus minus, um, and if you actually look at like his numbers. Um, well, he he didn't play that well in the Memphis game, but he still had a positive plus minus. But the the other two games where he's actually played well were the Detroit game and the Atlanta game, and they won both of those. Like he was a plus thirteen in the Detroit game and a plus nineteen against Atlanta. And so, like when he plays well, the Bulls tend to do better but i mean the the bulls their shot profile that they've been giving up hasn't been great and they they seem like they've been getting a ton of open looks and just nobody on the team can can convert shots right now and uh it's very, it's very disheartening watching them brick open shot after open shot every single game and you know it's but even their guys that are supposed to be shot makers it seems like everybody has no confidence in their jumpers right now i don't know i don't know what to to make of where, where they're at right right
0: now Look, I think we all agree with that, and it's interesting because we think about Mark and you th- obviously like when he plays well, the team will play well. But I'm wondering if the if the reverse applies as well, and I I, I don't know what his issue is. I, I don't know. Look, he might just be going through a random shooting streak i guess or a poor shooting streak and it may correct itself obviously it's been a long time though it (laughs) it has its 10 games plus preseason for what's that 15 games so
1: well no even before that like the the last month or so of the season um if you combine like all the last month of the season last season he was not shooting very well either it's just he it's been a long time since his jumper has gone in at the rate that we kind of expect so i really don't know what's going on with him
0: i certainly agree but i I guess like i just can't believe that a player would regress to this point like i I understand players maybe plateauing or maybe not reaching the heights that we would expect them based on what they had previously done obviously development isn't linear it never is but it it feels like he's a regressor, but i just don't believe that to be true and maybe i'm just being too optimistic or just uh just trying to find a positive here for Larry and, and trying to find a, or, or trying to convince myself at least that things will eventually turn, turn around for him. But if I just think back to his rookie year, like he was obviously had zero NBA experience then, he was still learning the game, mm-hmm. he wasn't even meant to be a starter. But even then, he was playing just the way he was playing, irrespective of if he was making shots or not, just the aggression that he was playing with or the way he was hunting out his own offense and these sorts of things. He, it's not even comparable what he's doing now versus what he was doing even in his rookie year. So I, I don't want to say it's a uh, just a cold shooting streak. I'm wondering how much of this is mental right now. I I don't know. Maybe he's carrying an injury that we're not aware of. I don't know. Obviously, I I almost feel like it would be better for marketing to. Or if we knew that he was carrying some sort of injury, hopefully not a significant one, but I don't know—a a, a sore back or a tight hamstring or whatever it might be—something that's not obviously career-threatening or, or long-term problematic. But I, I almost want there to be something wrong with Larry to almost justify his bad play right now.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. So, like, I somebody mentioned the um his like the the 4t game that they had against the hawks last year as being like the last game where he uh or like the the last the end of like his run of like looking pretty good and so i just kind of like uh, i don't know if you've been to uh pbp stats but it's it's a pretty good website they have like you can do different cutoffs for dates and stuff and they have a lot of um stats pulled from play by play uh but i just just kind of like looked at the bull pulled up the bull stats from basically the day after that game through today and Markkinen, uh I don't know if this includes today's game or not, but he coming into he he was shooting since that game. He's shooting twenty nine or basically thirty percent from three, um, and like that's like seems like the biggest thing. Uh, he's also I feel like he's not going to the line as much as he used to and like another like all in one sort of thing like his true shooting percentage in the... Uh, Since that game has, is under 50%. It's 49.5%. Like, that's terrible for somebody that is a, a moderate to high usage guy. And I just don't really know what to what's going to break him out of it. It in def- like his body language is really crappy now. Like, like you mentioned, he doesn't like, he's not hunting for his shot all that aggressively. He kind of floats on the perimeter. Like there was a point in the game tonight where I think he had a miscommunication where uh, Zach tried to, they tried to run like a pick and roll or something. And Zach missed him with the pass and basically threw it out of bounds. And Lowry just kind of like slumped his shoulders and like put his head down. And it was just like, man, like he just looks defeated and it's just it's uh you know it's it's crazy because i think a lot of the the bulls organizationally um just even you know having moved out here to chicago and being around the chicago media there was a lot of like chatter which i'm sure was like not an accident from you know the the team media and stuff where they were kind of pushing the idea of you know, well, the all-star game is here in Chicago this year, like the bulls, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get an all-star and they talked about both Lowry and Zach as kind of the potential options for that. And neither, and both of them are playing so poorly right now that like neither of them seems like they have much of a chance at all of being an all-star unless they really turn it around in the next, you know, 40 games or however many there are before the all-star break. Um, and the voting for that starts, you know, starts pretty early. So, you know, they, they really would have to, to turn it on. Um, I don't see it because you're already nine games into the season and, or now 10 games into the season and they've been trash. They've been awful.
0: The all star run here is pretty much done for for both players, More, definitely for for Larry, but even for Zach maybe too. I mean, he's putting up numbers, but they're they're hollow numbers at this point. But I mean,
1: well, even Zach, it, I think Zach had like eleven points tonight. Like yeah. he's had a, he's had a a bunch of games like with the number of shots that he consistently 17 takes. Shots. Yeah, like he's he's had a bunch of stinkers like that where he like scores like barely over ten points or something um and it's like he's taking a you know he's got a huge usage rate and he just can't make shots and it's it's crazy cuz that's like what he's good at like literally the only bright spot on the team right now is Wendell <laughs> like it's yeah, very it's very discouraging
0: well i mean if i look at the last 8 games and the numbers through the last 8 games larry Markman is averaging 13 points per game 6 rebounds I'll, I'll call it 6 but it's 5.8 rebounds per game shooting 36% from the field 34% from the three-point line and Zach himself through the last eight games 17.8 points per game shooting 40% from the field 34.6% from the three-point line basically has as many turnovers as he does rebounds and assists so both of them choosing or not choosing but playing their worst basketball at the same time obviously is is impeding these bulls from from being anything more than a three and seven team right now but I don't know, like I, I I go back to what I said before. I don't know how much is on coaching, I don't know how much is on playing because in that first half against this Rockets game we saw Mark and be aggressive in the sense that he had two back to back possessions where he caught the ball on the move, caught it on the catch, and actually got into the lane and he had that really big dunk on, on PJ Tucker at one point and then the other one he got to the line and hit his free throw. So Maybe that is on, on Larry. Maybe he, he can clearly do some stuff off the bounce when he has the ability to, to catch on the move. If you just give him the ball in an ISO, then I think in that situation, that's why he's settling for three pointers. But if you get him on the move, he can do some stuff off the bounce. And we saw that in the first half, but then in the second, second half, he reverted back to that sort of catch and shoot player that i guess we don't want to see at this point has become a glorified ryan anderson which is something we didn't want from larry mark and so I, I think some of it is on coaching that they need to get him moving more on these schemes getting moving and, and sort of putting the ball on the floor but i don't know at some point larry needs to take some ownership too as well and i don't think either of those things are happening
1: yeah, I mean, uh I would I would take Ryan Anderson right now over like uh, yeah. uh over what we're getting from Lowry. He's he I mean, Ryan Anderson rebounds the ball or or he did. And Lowry like he every time that Wendell's not on the court, the Bulls get slaughtered on the glass. Uh but mostly because Lowry and a lot of the time when Wendell's not out there, it's Lowry and Cornet, which I know you've tweeted about that being a, a dumb thing that Boylan does, and I, I I agree with you with that, but, like, Lowry just doesn't compete on the glass. Like, he had that one game uh, to start the year against Charlotte where he, like, grabbed... All of the rebounds, and then, but for the most part, he he doesn't he doesn't really box anybody out. He just kind of floats, and like I feel like that's like been the defining characteristic of his season so far is that he's just been floating. He, he was doing it in preseason. I think everybody like that was watching those preseason games um, kind of was noticing that. I think. Um, you and I and others that were watching kind of you know, were like, Hey, what's going on with Lowry? He seems like he's not engaged. And then uh, Charlotte game had me thinking, Oh, well maybe it was just preseason and he wasn't, he wasn't engaged because it's just preseason. Uh, but no, it seems like that was a real indicator. Like that, the the Charlotte game threw us off the scent, but like, it seems like that was a real indicator that there's, there's something going on with him where he's just not engaged out there. Um, and I don't know, what it is, but he just doesn't seem like he is all that invested or, or even like he he's bought in or knows what he's supposed to be doing. And that some of that probably goes to the system and coaching. I, I would, would think, because if he had a better, a more defined role, other than like, here, go stand in the corner or on the wing and shoot threes. And uh, other than that, you know, just stay out of the way. I think that he would probably like. I don't know. I would like to see him making decisions off of you know as a uh, roll man off the bounce um, in the pick and roll. Uh, I would like to see Wendell doing that more. I would like to see more dribble handoffs with those guys where they can fake the handoff and go. All of those. Like I would. I would much rather see him making decisions and um, and. Wendell making decisions with the ball in their hands than Zach and Kobe. Kobe, his decision-making is not good. <laughs> his <Yeah>. re, uh, <laughs> that has been something that I've started noticing more and more the last few games is, he, man, he takes some bad shots. Um, and he's, he's not the shot maker that, that Zach is. Cause you know, Zach also takes a lot of pretty bad shots, but Zach is, um, well, he hasn't been this year, but traditionally, Zach is a very good, tough shot maker. But man, I, I, I tweeted this a couple of games ago, but if I if I never see Kobe shoot that step back jumper that he loves uh, the rest of the year, I will be more than happy because he, he it seems like he never makes that thing.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I want to talk more about these guards and more in general, because I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The, the guard play for the Bulls hasn't been great at all when considering we're talking about players like Larry Mark and Wendell Carter, two front-court players who, at this point in their career at least, are going to be players that are highly assisted players. When you got two guards up front who are jacking shots and are making bad shots and are making the wrong reads and maybe missing these guys in on better situations, I definitely know there was a there was a case where uh, Wendell roll, rolled hard to the rim. He was completely open and, and Kobe just completely missed him. He didn't see him at all. So that's problematic in itself for sure. I, I I don't I don't understand why the Bulls still don't have a real proper floor general with this Bulls team. I mean I was. I was very happy to get Saturansky, obviously. I'm still happy to get have Saturansky around. I think he needs to be a lot more aggressive than what he what he has been, but that's kind of why I also like the idea of Ricky Rubio on this team as well, because they needed someone who could create and, and someone who can consistently hit that role, man, and Rubio would have been good for Mark and he would have been good for, for Carter, but it's, it's just odd that, we don't. We haven't really seen much Lowry Zach pick and roll at all. The more I think about it now, it, it's almost Zach and Wendell, and then Lowry sort of just popping out to the opposing the opposing side of the court to keep the floor space for Zach. And going back to what I said before, I'm I'm trying to work out how much of this is on Lowry, how much of this is on coaching, but it, it does feel like a lot of the times that he's almost told to float out on the perimeter to keep the floor space. And I guess it makes sense given he theoretically should be the team's best shooter, definitely in the front court at least. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I still question how much of this is a product of Larry just being passive, which is a concern that I had. Versus Larry being told to to space the floor for Zach Levine and Kobe White and these sorts of guys, because I think there's a a realistic case to be made for all of that. But I want to talk more about Zach. I want to talk more about Kobe White. But before I do, let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsors. First up, let me tell you about Harry's. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secrets to a great shave? It hasn't changed that much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. As someone who needs to shave multiple times per week, I love a good close shave with that easy glide handle that Harry's provide. And that's why I personally endorse Harry's. Harry's is a return to the essential. They give you quality, durable blades at a fair price for just $2 per blade. And maybe more importantly, they've cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century, which means you get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. Maybe best of all, Harry's is super convenient. Their blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. Better still, there's no risk from trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a treble blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com forward slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Let me also tell the fellas tuning in about Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash wire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's get roman.com slash bluewire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com roman.com slash bluewire. Alright, back to the show now and, and back to the complaining, unfortunately, Kevin, because there's not much to talk about with uh in terms of positives for the Bulls. We we sort of touched on Zach Levine, but his decision making as the primary ball handler is something that has been problematic for the first ten games. I was of the opinion that the offense needed to be turned over to Zach because well, until Larry was ready to take it from him, clearly Markin is not in that mood. But Zach himself, he hasn't been playing great. He he's the best bulls I guess, uh, primary credit that the team has right now. But it all—it always is risky, I guess, putting the ball in Zach Levine's hands and asking him to make or to drive the Bulls' offense. And the same sort of happening in the second unit with Kobe White too. We touched on their bad decision-making. But is there really a way around that for the Bulls this season, given that they don't adequately have anyone else on the roster who can necessarily create or take the ball out of those guys' hands when those two are on the court?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that when we were looking at the the Bulls roster and a lot of the sort of uh, one-win projection models and things like that that are based on one-number metrics – um, were pretty high on the Bulls um, in the sense that they thought that might be like a a low, a bubble playoff team, basically. Um, and considering where they were coming from, that's, you know, a, a pretty big leap. But I think one of the things that those uh, metrics maybe underrated a, a little bit and even, you know, people like us that were trying to forecast where, where they might end up, what, what was kind of underrated is having a um and you kind of you mentioned Ricky Rubio you see this with the Suns like having somebody that you can consistently trust to make good decisions with the ball in their hands is a huge benefit uh to to somebody to run the offense and consistently be a a good decision maker makes a huge difference and Um, That person doesn't necessarily, I mean, Rubio is a good example, doesn't necessarily have to be a huge scoring threat, but you're probably best off uh, if that's the case. And that's like the real gap. That's what really separates Zach from other superstars, Uh, you know, uh, guys that he aspires to be like and who his sort of raw scoring numbers suggest he's in the same realm with, but then you look a little deeper and you understand Um, the game a little better and look at some of the other numbers and it's just like he makes bad decisions Um, he's you know he turns the ball over too much he takes bad shots when it gets to crunch time if if the bulls aren't getting blown out he makes a lot of questionable decisions it seems like especially to start this year um, I might be reading into this but it, it felt like he was really pressing um because he he did want to be an all star the first two games it d- felt like he was really forcing it, trying to have big moments in the in the clutch and taking a lot of really questionable shots and just forcing the issue. But I also think like some of that, I think it was him pressing, but I also just think that he's not he's not a very like, smart basketball player when it comes to like what to do to to win i think he is um a very talented basketball player but i don't think he he thinks the game very well and that translates on both offense and defense like the the reason that he's always lost on defense is because he doesn't think the game that well he doesn't read what's happening on the floor all that well Um, he's a very talented one-on-one player and not a good team basketball player. And the, the problem is, is that he's the most talented player they have. And I don't really know who you, who you give the ball to most of the time to fix that because Sadoransky a good decision maker, but he's not enough of a threat to score to really that you put the ball in his hands. Wendell I would like to see get more opportunities to have the offense run through him, but you can't do that for 48 minutes a night, right? Like he's a big man. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it really comes to, I was talking to, I was hanging out with uh, Ricky O'Donnell last night and I think we were, you know, lamenting the bulls. um, (laughs) And uh, he, you know, we just came back to it like, What were we thinking? Like, you know, if Zach Levine's your best player, like, you're just not going to be very good. And we all got kind of excited, I think. And But, like, that sort of fundamental truth that in almost every game that they play, the Bulls are not going to have the best player on the floor. That is a huge hindrance.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, and then transitioning from Zach, when we go into that second unit, it, it, I guess, turns into a, the Kobe White show, which is very similar to what's happening in the, in the starting unit. I guess where Zach is running the show in the first unit as the, as the lead guard, so to speak, of that first unit. But then when, when Boylan goes to his reserve unit, obviously Kobe White is, well, at this point, he's been given the green light to shoot as many shots as as, as he wants in this Houston Rockets game. Zach had seventeen shots, five of seventeen, twenty nine and a half percent from the from the field. Kobe White, four of sixteen. 25% from the field. Those two easily had the most attempts amongst all Bulls players in this game. I mean, Wendell Carter, only nine shots. Larry Markin, only 10 shots. Chen Larchison had 10 shots. But yeah, Zach and, and Kobe, they, they're, comb- they're combining for the majority of the offense in terms of attempts at this moment. And I want to kill them both, Roto, I suppose. I want to go down that path because it's, it's, it would be an easy one to slip down. But at the same time, going back to what I said, the, this team doesn't have a lot of creators to the point where I almost feel bad for these guys because... The, the ball will end up in the last sort of ten seconds of of a, of a possession and it'll come back to them and they've been forced into into creating something so whilst it's easy to kill them for their flaws and the fact that they you know miss open guys and these sorts of things they they're clearly not primary offensive creators. Uh, at the same time, this team is putting a lot of pressure on them to be something than what they're probably capable of being, which is obviously a roster design for So I, I, again, I don't know how to judge these players because Zach is being cast into that primary option when he probably shouldn't be. Kobe White is being forced into that offensive spark plug role, which I guess we all thought he could maybe handle based on how preseason and at least the first two games of the NBA season went. But since then, the last eight games or so, it's been pretty tough for Kobe. So, I again, I don't know what to make of it all.
1: Kobe's shot selection for sure drives me crazy. Um, but your point is well taken that like they they have a lot of this Bulls team is basically a team full of sixth, seventh, and eighth men. I think um, even their primary like shot creators in the starting unit and the the bench unit. Are guys that would be like Kobe White and Zach Levine, their NBA destiny or their their best fit probably on a winning team is as a off the bench scorer like Lou Williams. And Kobe's not even that yet because he's a rookie and has all the problems that rookie guards tend to have. Like he's um, still figuring out NBA offense. He's still figuring out how to how to score consistently against NBA defenses. I think that he is not very good at getting to the basket because he's weak. He, he, you know, people talk about his positional size or whatever. He's tall, but he has short arms and he's weak. Like he's very physically weak. And so he doesn't get to the basket consistently. He shies away from, um, driving and attacking consistently, uh, because as fast as he is in the open court, he doesn't have like an explosive first step. So that's why you see him take that step back that I hate so much. So frequently, because it's his way of getting, shots up when he can when he's stuck against a set defense basically and like the bulls uh, and their coaching staff could do more to i think get him going downhill get more ball screens for him because like every time i feel like every time kobe is uh doing anything in isolation in the half court then something bad is going to happen if he's you know in transition great like he's very good at that if he's you know if he's had the opportunity to to get a get a ball screen and get an advantage on his guy and go by him a little bit more because he's had a head start as opposed to trying in an isolation to blow by a guy from a dead stop which I don't think he's particularly good at i think that it's a it's a combination of things but ultimately this is like a failing of uh of i think coaching and also just like roster management in that a team that like actually has playoff aspirations should not be playing Kobe white as much as the bulls are. He, I like after watching him in summer league, I was like, Oh, he needs to go to like the G league for a year because like he was just not very good. Part of that was, he just wasn't making shots, but like, that's really his primary value right now is that like as a shot maker, and if he doesn't make shots, unfortunately, he doesn't bring a lot else to the, to the table. I think his defense is probably a little bit better than I thought it would be, but it's still not good. And he's not a particularly good passer um, in terms of like setting other guys up. He has a little bit of tunnel vision and then relatively small and weak, so he doesn't really rebound. So uh, if he's not making shots, he's not all that valuable, but if you're going to try to make the playoffs you you probably shouldn't be playing Kobe White like 25 minutes a night or whatever his minutes per game is right now
0: yeah he had 27 against the Rockets tonight Sadoransky he did have some foul trouble early in the game but only 24 minutes for Sato. that that needs to be flipped at least I mean that in in the game where Kobe White is 4 of 16 from shooting to your point He's, if he's not providing you that offensive uh, that offensive punch off the bench, then he's not really giving you that much at that point. So he shouldn't be playing 27 minutes a game or like he did today against the Rockets, 27 minutes in, in this sort of game. That, that that number should be down to like 16 or something like that. And Boyle needs to spread that across other players. Now, maybe that's tough to do given that Otto Porter was out in this game. He had to run some of these three-guard lineups because, well, he, maybe he didn't. Maybe he could have played Denzel Valentine. I can't believe I'm saying that, but maybe that's... That should have been an option, maybe even Shaq Harrison, who knows. But I want to talk about defense and I want to talk about Boylan's rotations now because we've spent the last, basically the first half hour of the podcast talking about the Bulls and, and mostly their, their issues on offense. But if we look at the numbers, a lot of the, in, the indicators on offense are pretty good in terms of where their points are coming from. They're top three in terms of points in the paint, in terms of points, a percentage of points that are coming from the mid-range shot, the Bulls are bottom five, which is what you want. They're 13th in um, percentage of field goal attempts from the three-point line. So that is a is a good indicator as well. Obviously, they're not making their threes right now, which is a huge problem. But in terms of the broader scheme of, of how the offensive is working, I think mostly... I'm okay with it, even though it's obviously not executing to the way we like, whereas I think on defense is probably where I'm more concerned about things than anywhere else, and I guess for the first half against the Rockets, at least, it seemed like the Bulls' defense was clicking. They they forced the Rockets into fourteen 15 turnovers, I should say, and I say forced, but a lot of that was the Rockets just making some truly bizarre decisions on their own accord. Uh, They're a dumb team sometimes, but I, I think the defense of this team is concerning to me uh you i think you touched on it right from the top in terms of where their defensive shot price profile is coming from that is problematic for this bulls team going forward i know their defensive numbers are okay at this point in terms of where they rank def- in, from a defensive rating standpoint but well, pro- probably worse up,
1: after after tonight <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably yeah before the game at least they were they were middle of the road but after this game maybe not but um yeah i think the defensive side of the ball is something that's going to become a, a massive concern if it's if it still trends this way. And I wanted to get your thoughts on Jim Boylan's blitzing scheme. I thought it made sense against the Hawks, against Trey Young, given all the players that they were missing out of their rotation. But what did you think about it when they uh, deployed that against James Harden? And what do you think about it more broadly going forward?
1: The, the blitzing, that blitzing defensive scheme is not dissimilar to what Jason Kidd had the Bucks running when... Basically, the scheme that got him fired uh, because they had all these long, huge athletes and they were asking them uh, instead of using their length to play conservatively and then get in the passing lanes by not chasing things around, they were they would aggressively double and then teams would get the get the first pass off of the double ping the ball around the perimeter and get wide open threes. And that's what's been happening to the Bulls. Like they are giving up uh, the second most, as a percentage of their, their overall shots given up, they are giving up the the second most uh, three corner threes in the league. So Toronto is giving up uh, uh, more, but the Bull 10% or almost 11% of all the Bulls opponents' shots are coming from the corner three. But so they're they're just they're giving up way too many corner threes. I think that they they also they're giving up and then they're worst in the league in terms of number of shots given up at the rim. So corner threes and shots at the rim are the two places you least want to give up shots to. And the Bulls are in the bottom two for both of those. So they have arguably the worst shot profile surrendered. They don't rebound very well. And basically the only thing that's been bailing them out is that teams like on those corner threes they're also giving up a huge percentage like uh of makes on that like so the teams are shooting 47% on corner threes on them which tells me that their corner threes that they're giving up are wide open some of that is a little bit of bad luck, but still they're they're giving up like really clean looks to the corner. And then, but the only thing that's really, I think, bailed them out at all defensively that made it so so that they weren't like dead last in the league is I think they've been okay at getting turnovers. So that's the only thing that's been saving them from being like the worst defense in the league. Um, but it's, and that's a, a product of the scheme, right? Like they're doing that swarming scheme, but it doesn't matter. Uh, if you're getting a lot of turnovers, if you're giving up the worst shots in the league and you also can't rebound um, and you're giving up all these second shot opportunities because they're 23rd in the league in opponent offensive rebound rate. So, they're just getting murdered like all over the only thing that they're any good at defensively is forcing turnovers but it's costing them in all the other sort of categories you know the four factors that people look at effective field goal percentage which if you actually look at shot profile is probably an even better thing to look at at this point as a proxy for effective field goal percentage turnovers uh, rebounds and uh, free throw rate and they're also giving up like they're they're middle of the road but still on the, the bad side, they're 19th in uh, opponent free throw rate. So they're, they're not doing anything well other than for forcing turnovers. And like I said, I think that their turnover f- forcing rate is more a function of their scheme. But that same scheme is what's giving them all the bad results on everything else. So the juice is not worth the squeeze when it comes to their their turnovers um which is why they're getting murdered and i their scheme doesn't make any sense and they need to to scrap it and do something else but they seem committed to it so uh, we'll probably see more of the same of this for a while
0: yes i th- i think you're 100% right i mean four factors wise the bulls their 28th in e field goal percentage which is obviously terrible free throw rate the 22nd in the league offensive rebound percentage they are towards the bottom of the league as well. 24th, the only saving grace that they have at this point is turnover percentage, where they are 6 at the moment, so they don't turn the ball over. Yeah. So that's from their perspective. So from a full-factor's point of view... They're, they're the same the on offense
1: and defense. The only thing they're good at is yeah. winning the turnover battle, but they're bad. They, they they don't rebound on offense, and they give up a ton of rebounds on defense, and then they, yeah. they can't make shots. The thing, The one thing that I will say that I think their offense will be a little bit better on is they are... Their shot profile, at least they're getting the shots from good spots. I will say that like, I think their shot profile is a little bit misleading in that I think that they they take shots from the right areas, but they're heavily contested or, or more heavily contested than the average that you see in those places. But I, I do think at some point they've got to start – they miss a lot of open shots. It's It's been really frustrating the last few games to watch them get – you know, look looks that you should be happy with. Like execute the offense, get good looks, and just brick them. I mean, Lowry is the most frustrating one to me because he's specifically supposed to be such an elite shooter, and I feel like he, I, I feel like he's gonna miss every time he shoots now. And you know, that's obviously a, a bit hyperbolic, but like it really feels that way. Whenever he shoots, I'm just like, oh, please go in. And then if he misses, I, I just am like again like i can't believe it like this this guy was like the most knocked down uh shooter from his draft class people were calling him you know uh that he had a chance to be like dirk or whatever and it's just he's so far from that and it's it really doesn't make any sense either because his his free throw uh percentages are still really great so like it's not like his shooting stroke is broken or anything and like all the other indicators like his past shooting history his free throw percentage is still really good like it just doesn't make any sense why he can't make an open three-pointer anymore but um that's uh, i'm back on a a lowry rant so i'll I'll try to get off of that
0: (laughs) it's justified but i mean the funny thing is that when we think about the bulls and the variance of their shooting switching back to hopefully something more more positive or at least back to averages of what we would expect these uh, individuals or maybe even the t- across the team-wide perspective, that'll eventually regress up, hopefully. But at the same time, we've talked about the defense and the defensive problems that the Bulls have. They're going to... They, I mean, they've, they haven't really faced a top-line offense at this point. I mean, the Houston Rockets went on that run, but the Rockets have been... Oh, the, the Rockets are the typical Rockets self. They're a good offense, but the Bulls have had such an easy schedule to the point where they start facing consistently some of these some of the league's best offenses, like we did, like we saw against the Raptors. I mean, that is a good quality offense. Things are going to get bad on the defensive side of the ball too, as well. I mean that'll that'll tick up as well. So I'm just wondering if those numbers cancel each other, cancel each other out a little bit. But yeah, it, I, I don't know where this is all going to go. Obviously, over the next couple of games, but. I wanted to talk and I wanted to close about this because I, I gave Boylan some credit against the the Hawks for changing up and making up or making some adjustments against the Hawks that at least made sense. So he went to a nine-man rotation, which made sense. By doing so, he kept Luke Corn out of the rotation. He he limited his big-man rotation to just Mark and Carter and Thad Young. He, he did some things, obviously, in the backcourt as well in terms of playing Chandler Hutchinson over... That that three-guard lineup now against the Rockets, obviously, he had to revert back to that three-guard lineup given that Otto Porter was unfortunately out. But in this game as well, Boylan, well for whatever reason, he made some nice adjustments against the Hawks but reverted back to his 10-11-man rotation to the point where he put Luke Cornett in. It's either in the first quarter or, the, or at the start of the second quarter, whatever it was, and immediately... The Rockets went on a run, just attacking him and just forcing him to really blitz out hard on defense to the point where, like we sort of suggested, they were leaking those corner threes and those buckets at the rim because the Bulls' defenses couldn't rotate quickly enough. So I want to close on Boylan's rotations, get your thoughts on that, and maybe more specifically, get get your thoughts on having Cornet be back part of the rotation. And I, I want to talk about Thad Young as well, because I think that's a sneaky underlying thing that's um that's getting missed here as well.
1: I feel bad for Cornette because, I mean, he's getting bashed uh, all over the place because people didn't watch him in uh, New York and see him in a uh, area where he was being used in a way that actually suited him and wasn't being asked to do things that he can't do. <laughs> he's not a guy that you want should want trying to corral guards or wings um, or even other big men that are quick off the dribble like you want to park him by the basket and allow him to just be big and in the way the Bulls scheme does not do that right now until they change the scheme I, I they need to probably play him uh, less minutes and I think that playing him with Lowry is really stupid I don't know I, I felt like he when they signed him I felt like they signed him to basically be a Lowry backup um, because he has is also a floor-spacing big guy that uh, is not afraid to shoot threes, um, and most of his value on offense comes from shooting threes. He doesn't really do a whole lot else. Um, so I thought of him as, like, uh, I mean, he's a better shot blocker than Lowry, but kind of like a poor man's Lowry uh, to throw out there. So playing them together, it's just like you're, it's very duplicative skill sets, and they're both not quick enough laterally. And I think the other thing is, too, is that, like, the Bulls—they seem very confused uh, during their when with the the scheme that they're running. That's—I mean—that's as big a part of the rotations being blown, uh, I think, as anything. Is that like they just don't seem like they know what they're supposed to be doing. They're—you th- can see them thinking out there, and when you're defensively, you know, if you're thinking, then you're not on a string and you're dead, and that's just been the case. I'm interested to know what, like, what your thought about Thad Thad was though. What what were you getting at there?
0: Yeah, so I mean, just before I get to that, I think you're completely right, and I I, I've been somewhat of a Luke Cornett defender in the sense that look, he he has been playing bad, but I think a lot of that is on coaching because, to your point, if you set him up to be a blitz type defender when he's clearly a a drop type center, then of course you're going to have you know, these, these ill-advised um, defensive uh, these defensive issues, I guess. So I, I, I think Bulls fans, we need to stop maybe killing Cornet here. I, he definitely shouldn't be part of the rotation if this is how the Bulls want to play defense, but he wasn't brought here to be playing in this defensive system. So I, I completely echo your comments about that. But in terms of my Thad Young point, I think it's absolutely ridiculous in terms of the minutes that he is playing for the Bulls. He only had 19 minutes up until like the like the final four minutes of the fourth quarter so I, I don't know one why Cornet is in the game obviously that doesn't make sense but I don't know why uh, Thad Young isn't playing more particularly when Lowry's being this bad at this point I mean Lowry had 33 minutes he led all players on on this Bulls team that means that number needs to come back to 26 27 when Lowry's playing bad and Th- Thad needs to be playing a lot more to the point where in the fourth quarter for whatever reason Jim Boylan was running out Larry Markin and Luke Cornett to, to, together that obviously didn't work predictably then what what, what Boylan did from there is he he put in his bench unit and he threw Thad Young Thad Young out at that point with Daniel Gafford and so he's basically treating Thad almost like this generic random third or fourth bench guy I guess or third or fourth bench big when in reality he is this team sixth man but he's being dicked around at this point and I, I just wonder if if Thad wasn't so professional, or if he wasn't so, um, if he just wasn't such a good guy, I suppose whether this would be such a whether this would be a a bigger talking point to the point where maybe Thad would be causing some ruckus in the in the in the locker room. Obviously, he doesn't have that within his nature. He's too much of a professional. But I think Boylan and just thinking about the rotational issues at large, I think we can summarise that or we, that the way he's handled Thad Young has typified his mismanagement of the rotations cuz i think he really is sort of completely dicking Thad Young around right at right now and i think it's ridiculous
1: yeah no i i agree with that like see so yeah, last year he played 31 minutes a game for the pacers and, and that was a much better team than what the bulls have uh clearly and they have two legitimate like all-star level big men that he was rotating around with like Miles Turner is a very good player. Sabonis' kid there is also a really good player. Thad was still getting 31 minutes. The Bulls front court is not that good. And for him to to be getting basically almost a full 9 to 10 minutes a night less than what he was getting on a superior team with a better big man rotation doesn't make any sense. You know, I after the way that Lowry has played uh to start the year like I wouldn't be the most mad if Lowry got put on the bench and they started that because he's, he's just better than Lowry at this point. Like, um, and you know, I think one of the issues that the Bulls have defensively is that with, when you have Zach and Lowry out there at the same time on the court, that's two weaker defenders. I think obviously Zach is much, much, much worse than Lowry, but Having them both out there, I th- I, I've always subscribed to the idea in that you can sometimes live with one bad defender, but as soon as you get like to two, it starts to really break down, and I don't know if I'm putting Lowry yet in the category of a bad defender, but he's certainly not a plus, and... Thad is a plus, and Thad is a guy that talks and communicates, and might help Zach with being where he's supposed to be a little bit more. Whereas Lowry, I just he feels so like not assertive that i I don't hear him talking on the court um, defensively. I can't imagine that he does because I feel like he never talks. Period. So I don't know. It just it's I would like to see a shakeup there at the very least. Thad, they they really have like three quality bigs that should play pretty much all the minutes. I say three quality bigs. That's assuming Lowry gets back to being what we thought he was going to be. But at the very least, they have Wendell, who's good, Thad, who is good, and Lowry, who should be good if he can get it back. Um, there's no reason for Cornette to be playing as much as he is. He should be a, a spot minute guy. And he probably shouldn't even be playing that much more than Daniel Gafford, to be honest. But having a 10-man rotation is not very smart. It's not maximizing your chances of winning. Like a nine-man rotation is probably the most you want to do uh, for an NBA regular season. Eight is what I think D'Antoni, I mean, D'Antoni, I think, loves like a seven-man rotation, which is too far in the other direction. But like eight or nine, I think, is the right number. Um, And it's just more of an example of like Boylan not knowing what he's doing.
0: I agree 100%. I mean, Thad Young should be playing 22 minutes a game. He's been probably the Bulls' second best player uh, through these 10 games with Wendell Carter being the best and most consistent player on this team right now. Wendell's only getting 27 minutes a game per game. Yeah, he game. needs to play more too. Larry's- like
1: why is Wendell yeah. playing tw- I mean, yeah. part of it I get it is like he gets in foul trouble a lot and that's yeah. a whole separate yeah. thing of like Wendell gets the worst whistle in the league and it's like not close. Um it drives me crazy every game watching him uh, basically gets screwed. Um, but, uh, I think it, the Hawks game was like the most egregious example, but, uh, it, it happens basically every, every single game. It feels like he gets at least two or three tiki tack fouls that, uh, and he also doesn't get the whistle the other way. Like he gets mauled on yeah. when he's trying to score, uh, because he is an undersized center and he just never gets a call.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I did my rant on Cartergate last episode. I mean, it's it's ridiculous at this point. It is absolutely a joke. But yeah, there is no justifiable reason as to why Thad Young should be playing less minutes than Kobe White at this point. I mean, that is beyond ridiculous. So I think that... I I just wonder if the if the Bulls continue losing, if that becomes an issue at some point, because Thad, obviously, he didn't come here to be on a a really bad team. He understood that this was obviously a developing situation, a a team that maybe could push towards the playoffs. But uh, I just want to... We'll see how it goes, I guess, is my point. But I think the way Boylan's been managing the rotations more broadly, but I think Thad Young, I think that might become an issue going forward. But before we go, Kev, we've been going on long here. We've been whinging longer than what I thought we would. But a uh, shout out to Chris Dunn and Chandler Hutchinson, who I thought played pretty good games against the Rockets Their Defensive energy was pretty damn good. I thought Chris Dunn was really good off the bench, as he has been all season. And Chandler Hutchison looked pretty good in his start still doesn't give you much in the half court from an offensive point standpoint but rebounding defense running the lanes he does that really well so i think they those two guys deserve some credit uh, along with wendell carter they were probably the best three pulls in this game
1: yeah no i liked um i've really been happy with chris don this year i have no real complaints about him um no yeah. and he's another one that like how many minutes a game is he playing
0: chris don is playing 20 minutes
1: i was gonna say, like, I kind of don't think that he should be I think he should probably be playing more because he's been playing better than I know that you know you can't just look at like the 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 all-in-one stats or whatever because you do need shot creation to some extent that's pro- probably why Kobe's playing as much but like again if you're trying to make the playoffs having Kobe White play more minutes than Chris Dunn I don't think makes sense like yeah. it it's probably not smart because Chris Dunn, for like as frustrating as he is as a decision maker, sometimes I think is still a better decision maker than uh, Kobe White, and he's just a better basketball player. Like much better defender, can run a pick and roll I think more effectively than uh, Kobe. He's not obviously going to be as much of a scoring threat, but like if you look at Kobe's like scoring numbers right now, they're not that great. Like he's obvi- <laughs> he's obviously like uh, a. Th- a teams guard him at the three point line because he's a willing shooter, which Dunn kind of isn't um, as much. But like Kobe shooting like twenty four percent on threes, um, or at least he was before this game. I don't know what he shot tonight. I, I don't remember off the top of my head.
0: He missed all his six threes, so that that number is not going.
1: Yeah. On. So like play Chris Dunn more, play Thad Young more, limit Kobe's minutes, put Luke Cornett on the bench and make him a spot a spot minute guy. And, you know, I think that would help a lot. And then figure out whatever's wrong with Lowry, uh, whatever evil spirit is uh, cast over him, and uh, exercise it. And, you know, the Bulls might be back in business.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree 100%. I mean, and specifically for this matchup against the Rockets where the the Rockets have a backcourt of of um obviously James Harden and Russell Westbrook. This is probably a game where you should probably be playing Chris Dunn more than Kobe White, but Chris Dunn only had 21 minutes in this yeah, game. Kobe makes, White makes, no, 27 sense. Minutes. That's, makes no sense. That's That's ridiculous. So anyways, we've gone on long enough about this game. Time to move on. Hopefully the Bulls can get some wins coming up in the following week, but having said that, I don't know if that's the case. They've got the Knicks up next, which that should be a win but I'm not confident. Well they already they already <laughs> lost to them it?
1: once. They already had the Bobby Portis revenge game. Uh hope yeah, hopefully exactly. Bobby got all of that out of his system and the Bulls can actually take care of business this time.
0: Hopefully, hopefully. But if they don't get that win out against the Knicks then after that they got the Bucks, the Nets and then the Bucks again. So that
1: Yeah, the Bucks are going to the Bucks are going to kick
0: their ass. <laughs> They're going to destroy the Bulls. So hopefully we're talking about a win next time around against the Knicks because uh, the next couple games after that, they're probably going to be losses. But until then, this has been enough of Bulls HQ. But first, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on, mate. Uh, Tell the people where they can follow you online. You
1: can follow me at NBA Couchside on Twitter. Yeah, that's that's really it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. If you want to see Kevin ranting about the Bulls like the rest of us, follow him on Twitter. Appreciate you coming on, mate.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Alright, Bulls fans, like I said, that's just about done for this episode of the show. We'll be back during the week at some point. Hopefully, we're talking about at least a W against the Knicks, fingers crossed. I can't imagine the chaos that will ensue if that is an L. But uh, we'll be back during the week. Hopefully, there's a wins, a couple of wins coming up for us here, Bulls fans. But until then, thank you for tuning in. Speak very soon. <laughs>